0: Hi, welcome to Violet Sessions, a series of interviews with inspiring and pioneering women. The recordings are the result of a collaboration between me, Danielle Rodeuchin, and Claire Patak, the food journalist and chef. We record the sessions at Violet, Claire's bakery in East London. In this episode, I'm talking to Joe Ratcliffe, the London-based art director, illustrator, and animator. Raised in Slough in the southwest of the UK, Jo studied at Central Saint Martins in London and started out her professional career as a receptionist at Hasbro. Before long, she had her own studio up and running. She's worked on projects for some of the biggest names in fashion, including Vogue, Louis Vuitton and the fashion photographers Inez and Venoud. She has been featured in the Gentlewoman magazine and she's worked with Kate Moss in a film for Balmain, no less. But then, Jo closed her studio and went travelling to America in search of something new. The result is her app featuring a range of feminist emojis, called Femojis, and a new philosophy which takes on the patriarchy, goddesses, and pop culture. Just ahead of the launch of Femojis, I sat down with Jo at Violet to ask her all about her journey so far. Here's what she had to say. Hi Jo. Hi. How's it going?
1: (laughs) Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Welcome to Violet Sessions. Thank you. Um, So, we're here at Violet in East London. You work and live near here,
2: is that right? I do, yeah. I work either side. I I work in uh, London Fields and I live in Dulston. So, yeah, you're sat bang in the middle. Is that your studio? My studio is in London Fields, yes, a building called The Laundry. Yeah. Nice. How long have you been there? Um, Only a year, actually. I kind of came back to the UK last year after a kind of. Um, a a year of back and forth to the states so um yeah it's relatively new um but it's right on the park and i've always been in that area broadway market or yeah
1: yeah Yeah. how important do you think it is to be in that area to what you do
2: um well you can't i mean there's lots of interesting people in the building um music and fashion and stuff like that and um you kind of realize that a lot of the people that you kind of want to work with or should work with are usually quite nearby. So, and there's lots of, you know, there's lots of cafes with good food, places with good books. So. Like this one. Yeah.
1: Um, how many people are on your team now? Because you used to have quite a big team. Didn't you before? Well, you I always used, them.
2: used freelancers, and I had an, a full-time assistant. But I kind of went back to nothing. Last year, I used. To, I was working with a lot of people to create animations, and that's kind of stopped. So. Or at least slow down. So now it's not. It's just me, really. Which I think it needed to go back to because I'd lost my way a little. I think so.
1: Yeah, you can't um, be
2: pointing people in any direction when you've got none yourself. So nice. No. Yeah,
1: I want to come back to that bit in a minute. But so we're here to talk about um, the launch of Emojis, which is your new emoji app.
2: <laughs> yeah, another <Very> direction.
1: <laughs> um, but let's just go back back first because I want to kind of hear about how you got to this point where. You launched this really cool thing, and we're going to explain a bit more about it. And I thought you could show me how to use it as well um, <laughs> on this podcast.
2: Um, so you're from Slough, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's on my passport. I can't <laughs> pretend otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Yep, unfortunate. Well, no, I say that, I'm, you know, it's, it's been great. <laughs> Did you enjoy growing up there? Uh, yeah, do you know what? It wasn't until I moved out that I realised what everyone thought of it, you know, because obviously everybody else was in the same boat, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I did actually, you know, I mean, it was equal, you know, it was close to London, it was equal parts kind of interesting and tough and, you know, I, I it was kind of, I don't know, naive really as to what it meant. I mean, I, everybody knew the Betjeman poem, Come Friendly Bombs and Drop on Slough, but, you know, that's just, I don't know, it was just the way it was. No one took it personally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what made you want to move to London?
2: Um kind of friends that I hung out with. it was just always what you did when you had enough money and enough time, and you know you could get out the clutches of your parents. You just get on the train and go and actually slouse up you know, because what it was your me. parents.:
1: What do your parents do, or what did they do?:
2: uh, for career uh, my dad worked in a factory and my mum worked as a typist um mainly so um you know and they were kind of quite strict on me were they well. not in well actually my grandfather used to paint watercolors and he was in the army and he did actually once um uh, make a he was stationed in Mussolini's house and he made a picture of the house, but it was confiscated for security reasons, so I mean, you know, a generation back, yeah, but... Um, did you
1: get that picture back,
2: ever? Uh, my auntie had it, and I think now it's with my cousins, so, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to own it, but I, would l- I haven't seen it, so, um, but yeah, he'd paint watercolours and stuff, but my mum was the strongest, I guess, the more influential on us as kids, and so she was from a kind of uh, far less artistic side of, you know, a kind of Irish family that I don't know, we're more about outdoors and horses and stuff like that. How did you get into art? Art teacher, just a really good art teacher, Mr Gordon, who um, persuaded, I mean, I was always doing it, but um, and I I wasn't as focused maybe as some some of the other people, but um, he just persuaded my folks that there was a career to be had. So my mum was just, you know... She wanted me to take a secretarial course uh, and a language so that I could be a bilingual secretary. And I was allowed to take art, you know, as a kind of... Were you quite... um,
1: Were you a rebel at that age when you were a
2: teenager?
1: Or did you agree with what your mum wanted you to do? No,
2: we were always, always falling out, always fighting. (laughs) Mm. We didn't really kind of bond again until I was in my... Well, we did, because if she listens to this now, she'll be, you know, kind of... She'll be pissed at me, but... You know, we weren't, we didn't see eye to eye for a very long time, you know, and um, I think, you know, for a working class family to send somebody off to art, you know, to get you to a point of education. I mean, even with my family, I don't suppose anyone had done A levels before, you know, never mind taking it to the next stage. So to take it to the next stage and then study art was just like a kick in the teeth, you know, they wanted me to. <laughs> something that would get having insult injury yeah exactly yeah, so God. um but they went with it and you know and they were patient and it's funny because my mum always does this thing where you know anything that i've done that she's proud of she usually just says you know yep you made that and i made you <laughs> as if she is you know yeah, right, it's down to, well, to her yeah. um and you went to central st martin's i did yeah yeah at first i thought it was a convent <laughs>
1: I had no idea what it was. Was it the art teacher who told you about it?
2: Yeah, yeah. There were two of us in the class that he thought were, you know, kind of potential. You know, that we had potential, and um, yeah, we went off and did a foundation course there, and then I went on to do a degree there. So I studied fine art. So and printmaking was how did you find it being there after growing up in Slough? Well, I moved into a pub and um, was uh, well. I moved in with a friend for a bit, and I, I d- also did a year of commuting. Where so was the pub in it Bloomsbury? Yeah, Southampton Road. It's called the Rugby Tavern, and it was just mental there. Like the landlord was just really unruly. It I'm was show- this sort of
1: is this like late nineties? Sort of?
2: well, yeah, it would have so been about nineteen. So it was quite a
1: kind of scene Blo- in Bloomsbury at that time.
2: It was a real mix. Mm. It was loads of students and, like, cabbies and everything, especially in that pub. And then there was groups of people. There was a bunch of anarchists that used to meet there, and there were two old printers that still live with their parents, and they're in their Was it 60s. like, were you living above the pub? I was living above it, yeah, yeah. yeah. isn't that quite stressful and noisy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. But it was it was shut-up weekends, and, um... You know, so it was kind of strangely peaceful there when you needed it to be. But, um... It was definitely a growing up experience. And if I'm honest, I, I mean, education for me was only 50% of what it should have been and the rest of it was just socialising, yeah. you know. The first thing I did with my student loan is went straight out and bought a puffer coat, I think. What was the brand? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you know, so... So who were you living with? Um, well, I was just with the landlord and then another... Um, made barmaid at the, mm. in the pub. I lived with a... So they weren't,
1: they weren't students, it was quite a... No,
2: but it was another student that had lived in Bloomsbury, who was kind of older than me, who'd got me in there, you know. So she was, like, one of the locals of that area. So it was it was really interesting, actually. Did you enjoy being at Central St. Martin's? Um, yeah, I did. I did. It was, like, half and half. I think, given my background, I kind of always felt a little bit like I was... Um, way out of my depth and and you know that one day I was going to be found out but I think a lot of people feel like that throughout you know and that doesn't really end when school ends either so a fish out of water really but Mm -hmm. um but I still had a lot of fun you know are you still in touch with people that you went there with um no no I'm not actually I'm not actually in touch with most people I've ever been to school with which is kind of funny, it's just like everything's always changed so much and I've always were you, moved on Well, you sort of
1: work because it's so prestigious isn't it and you know every time you know, I talk to anyone who's like vaguely successful in fashion or art they often say they went to St Martins if they're from the UK
2: Yeah I don't think I realised it until I was there um, and I, I was just really naive but it was probably the best way for it to be because if, if, mm. if I'd been aware I think you know I mean I, I did get when I arrived at the foundation course and saw the students there and just like how I guess kind of fancy or out there they were then I realized that you know I was in with a very kind of unique group of people but no I don't I, it wasn't till afterwards I've never picked up my certificate to say that I even really? had to have a degree no ever and uh, no one's ever asked me why didn't you pick it up because I never needed it. You just say St Martin's, and they are like, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna try that." You got the job. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, okay, so then so you, so, so you left, and um, did you know straight away what you wanted to do, or was it something that evolved?
2: No, I mean to be honest, one of the kind of most influential kind of. Um, well, the pressure I felt basically was from my folks like you know you've been to art school now you didn't just do I'm a foundation like you've done four years now like show us how you're going to earn some money with this and you know I, I had no idea and then I just got a job as a receptionist I was kind of the only way I knew how to do stuff was just to join up with an agency and get the kind of work that yeah my secretarial course had taught me so to artwork oh Secretary work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not okay, artwork. yeah. so yeah. How, good, how good is your typing? Oh, I mean, I didn't do any typing. It was just mostly answering phones and uh, opening posts, like the yeah. most bog-standard kind of, you know, receptionist work I could have got into. Um, but I got it. Uh, the first job I had was um, working for a Hasbro toy company. And, Hasbro, uh, who
1: makes Cindy and...
2: Action what Man. Did they do? did they do My Little Pony. Well, they might have done it. No, I think no, I don't think that was then. They did Furby. Oh, yeah, Furby. Bond, the dinosaur, stuff Amazing. like that. Um, and they used to... It was kind of at the point when the artist would send in the original artwork. It was a licensing part. So it was how you made the money from the product outside of the product itself. Um, so, you know, bath sheets or bath towels or whatever you know like duvet covers for kids Uh, and so the artists would send in, they got artists to make work that was printable and um, they'd send it in and if there was anything wrong with it I would kind of they say that I could change it rather than send it back to the artist and um, Action Man I wasn't so hot on but Cindy I could get right and it was, they used to have the they commissioned the drawings for Cindy magazine where you would the paper doll thing where you would dress her up for a weekend of barbecue or Tennis or whatever, and um, I kind of you know mastered it, and it was my first job, really. So that's that's how I kind of yeah. that was like the first Why illustration you think, job. What
1: drew you to drew the Cindy me? feminine? What drew you to drawing <laughs> <laughs> the Cindy, like the feminine, you know, the more, more I female had thing it. as opposed to the it's just boy, what I was toy. used to, yeah.
2: you know. I mean, I did. I loved drawing the kind of comic stuff. I used to draw Spider Man. They'd send in kind of bits and pieces. I only asked
1: because obviously, what you kind of went on to was quite was quite is is a lot is very feminine. Yeah, but I
2: don't think at that point I was really creating work based on anything Mm. that I was. I was just drawing for the sake of drawing whatever was Mm. given to me, really, and um, that the Cindy thing was pretty simple too. Like the drawings for. Anything Marvel and Action Man, they were all pretty complicated. Mm. So I just knew what to do when Cindy wanted to. So, know. how
1: did you get from Hasbro to having your own studio?
2: Um, well, I was also working in a pub in East London. Um, Another pub? Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah, uh, the Bricklayers Arms. And um, I needed a roommate. And um, the art director of Days needed a, a place to move in to. And um, so, what, she? Who was, who, what, who was Susie that? Wood and um, yeah so she, uh, she moved in and saw that I was doing these kind of drawings in the evening coming home from this reception job and just said you know do you think you could do some stuff for days and um, it was mostly mixtape stuff so just this little corner and, and, uh, and then I was drawing lots of um, Marvel stuff, I was drawing Action Man and, uh, not Action Man, Spider Man and stuff and so they had a piece on Stan Lee one day and they needed a portrait of him and so um, she asked me if I would uh, draw the, pe- the opening page. And so I kind of had it all there and made this collage. And and um, they just, I guess, took notice. And, you know, I kind of got a few more commissions after that. And um, that was the kind of... How did you develop a
1: style? Did you have a sort of particular style particular to you at this point? Or was that something that,
2: that came later? Um, I think, do you know what, I think... It's ever developing because I've never really, I mean, I, as far as everyone else can see, I think, you know, they can see something that's recognisable in the work. But for me, I've always felt like I've created something different, but it's, it's just, it's just evolved over time. You know, I think maybe more the subject matter is something that is, something that remains.
1: What's, let's talk a bit about what that subject matter is.
2: Um... When I'm not working commercially and and I take time out to create my own work, it's nearly always been uh, the female figure and mostly mood and quite a lot of typographic work. Um, So. What what do you think draws. Again, draws. (laughs) What attracts you to. I don't Going know. back for the female guess, figure, like, nude figure. Well, I mean, I was working in, in magazines and so I was kind of constantly, you know, studying, you know, what was kind of fashionable and stuff. And I guess around the time, mm-hmm. at the early stage when I was looking at what there was out there, it was kind of, I guess, like the kind of Corinne Day period of time where the girls were all kind of super slim. And But, I mean, in fashion magazines, it was still... Well, I I mean, I guess around the time just before I went to college, it would have been Cindy Crawford and then it was like Kate Moss and, and, and these things were always shifting and they weren't really something that I could relate to. And I guess, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out yourself amongst all of these icons and you're kind of grappling with, you know... How you are, what you, what your body looks like. Did and you read your fashion magazines as
1: a teenager or when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, I was always looking at them, you know. And so, and were you into the kind of old fit models like, as in, yeah, you know, for like sure, the Cindy, the Cindy Crawford yeah. exercise yeah, yeah. video, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: hoping that I would one day get that body, but obviously it didn't happen. It <laughs> <You> didn't, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, and I guess when I started drawing, it was a kind of retaliation—not a retaliation, but I guess a bit of you know, an investigation because I would pull out tear sheets from magazines and think that the girls look really beautiful and attractive and then I would try and draw them and then what would happen was, you know, I'd kind of figure out that it wasn't really... They wouldn't make interesting drawings. All the figures were very narrow and slim and I kind of wanted to... I don't know, I just wanted to draw something that maybe was a bit more... I don't know, not even real, but just different. And so... I kind of thought about life drawing classes but I, I wanted more control I wanted to kind of have you know girls in certain positions or and I don't think I had the courage back then to kind of get that kind of thing together so what I was doing was looking at porn magazines but not standard porn it was, well which I guess at that point in time was the beginning of the boob job or well, at least what was, in, what was fashionable, because what was attractive to men in those magazines was not what the fashion industry were putting forward. It was a very different woman. It was still kind of like, you know... So you were
1: more interested in the type of female figure that you saw in the porn magazines than fashion magazines? No,
2: no. The the reason I started looking at porn was because it was, you know, a way for me to kind of find a muse that was not... that had a more rounded, powerful figure than what I was seeing in the magazines, which was kind of very waif-like. But what I ended up drawing was I discovered um, Richard Kern's photographs in porn magazines. And he was drawing a girl called Lucy McKenzie, um, photographing a girl called Lucy McKenzie, who I just liked to draw. She looked different. She didn't have long, blonde, curly hair. You know, she had short brown hair and kind of interesting Mm -hmm. features to draw. And so I got into that. And then I, you know, through that kind of got into his work, which I don't think is, you know, that empowering for women necessarily, but it was just different. It was girl-next-door types that so were just a bit... Richard Kern,
1: who's sort of, like, 80s, underground yeah. figure, near New York. And yeah. Did, yeah, yeah,
2: he was, like, kind of post-punk or punk, yeah. kind of New York punk. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of was drawing his girls, really. And so you were working for
1: you did some stuff for Dazed, and then how did? And then you sort of started doing work for fashion brands because you've had some amazing clients. Like, um, I'm sort of jumping to the big. Yeah, it was a bit of a it was a slow with. climb. I yeah. mean,
2: basically what happened was I left Hasbro and then just got a full time job sitting at the desk of doing reception work for Dazed, and it was great because I'd have a little box of drawings, and all the art directors would come in and say, you know, I've heard you can draw and. So like they had lots of magazines. They had Intersection. They had another. They had Dazed, and you know, and then they were obviously connected to various publications and brands. And um, Intersection would ask me to draw cars. Another would ask me to do you know, like catwalk kind of. You know, um. have you always been into fashion? Yeah, I mean, that like, when I was. Did at, you know well, that was where uh, you were going to go? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I think my mum was quite heavily into it. She was kind of a shopping addict um my dad you know same thing fashion and music mostly um and I guess like not one of my I can remember one of my first like a-level projects was drawing a girl on the end of a catwalk um which was quite a 90s thing that you know they used to get to the end of the catwalk and do a kind of pose I mean they don't really do it now they're far less animated yeah But, yeah, I guess so, yeah, it was. But, I mean, you know, also it was just where the money was. It was a, you know, blooming industry and there was a lot of money to be made. So it was a way for me to kind of prove to my folks that I could get a job. Yeah, at what point did they change
1: their minds about what you were doing and realise that there was actually it was a viable career option?
2: I don't know, because the thing is, I kind of came and went. I would, like, leave, and I'd live in London for a little bit, and then I'd come back and, you know, kind of stay at theirs and, and put my head down again. So, you know, and my mum did say at one point, you know, you just need to go and get a job in HMV, <laughs> you know, if you're not going to get a proper job. But um, I don't know, I, I don't know. I can't really remember what that, 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 that moment was. I think I think my first... I had one first big job coming out of um, days for advertising and it was like a few thousand pounds, which was quite a big deal back then. I had no agent, you know, so once they started seeing that, then, you know, um, they just kind of decided to let it be. But they were never the kind of parents that put, like, too much pressure on me. As long as I was happy and surviving... They weren't, you know, too fast, so...
1: Um, And what made you want to open your own studio?
2: Just because the level of work, you know, the the, the amount of stuff there was to do meant that I had to bring in people to help me, you know. But like I say, it's never really been one of those studios where everything is set up and there's a desk for everybody and, you know, everybody comes. It's always been really fluid, you know. I've adjusted taken more or less desks depending on it was like the animation thing was the thing where you know that's where it really Mm -hmm. was necessary to have more than just me Yeah. the rest of the time I'd always try and manage it and sync but I would always try and do it myself so So, because
1: obviously you know you were doing illustration and then digital world sort of exploded, I guess. Is this around, like, 2000, a bit, a bit later, maybe? Yes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> can't remember. <laughs> um, and you realised that you could get... That, what happened with the animation thing? Was it something where you saw an opportunity or was it something, something you really enjoyed doing?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I never really thought about it. Um, it was more people had seen the work and I think also photographers were having that moment when they were having to produce... More stuff from their shoots, basically, and behind the scenes stuff. What were
1: some of the favourite <coughs> shoots that you, or like projects that you did? Because I mean, looking at your client list, it's amazing. Like, you've done stuff for Louis Vuitton,
2: Vogue, well, Katy co- Perry. It's like yeah. Really I mean, diverse. And but the thing is, when you're impressive. an illustrator, you don't really, a, a lot of that is just you stay in your studio and get the work done. You don't yeah. really go out and be part. And there, was a, there were a couple of times when we did the Gaga video that we went to. What's that? I go out. Yeah, but it's not (laughs) to do with work. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, the Gaga video, we went to uh, Paramount uh, Studios. So the the
1: Gaga video was the applause one that you did with Inez and Vinod.
2: Mm -hmm. How did you meet them? Um, It's still a little bit of a mystery as to how they kind of found out about me, but I think it was um, through um, an old agent who knew a makeup artist who worked with them. Um, the makeup artist is um, a lady called Janine LaBelle, who's kind of.
1: She's the founder of Steela.
2: She is, yeah. Steela Makeup. Yeah. And uh, she's been kind of a bit of a force in my life, even if she's not that aware of it, in that, you know, she's a really good businesswoman and a really great mentor as well. She's a mother of four kids, so um, she kind of knows how to, you know, she just loves looking after you. And I spent most of last year with her. But she. Uh, was about to put a makeup brand together for opening ceremony and um i'm not sure if it ever got off the ground but i was going to kind of put it together where they do the visuals um and i think she introduced me most likely to an as and so i started working with them we did a visionaire um they had a bunch of photographs and they have had a writer Um, Called Stephanie Cohen Chapter, who had made these, who'd who'd written a response to these photographs. And then I had to, um, I was given the task of making an illustrative response. But it was really lovely and it was really beautiful. And, you know, and I was really pleased and they were really pleased. And, you know, it was one of our first projects together. And then. They were doing BTS for a bowman campaign with Kate Moss, and they just
1: BTS as in behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Which was really new back then, and yep. I guess like you know.
1: So what Kate Moss was the model, the face of the campaign. And yeah, then they were doing shooting it behind the scenes. They
2: just set video up a camera, for
1: YouTube or something, to the YouTube yeah. channel, yeah. Well,
2: just to see, I guess, what they could get, you know. And mm. the thing is with Kate Moss, anybody, I guess most people would want to see. Mm, what it's like to be on a shoot with her and, you know, yeah. what it is what that What is she... it like being on a shoot with Kate Moss? Well, I didn't go, so I don't know. Oh. No, actually, no, I've I did. Been... No, I've done... The, the only time... No, I we when we did the Christmas cover for Vogue one year, I was... work. I did the, the... There was, like, a fold-out, three-page fold-out um cover, and she was wearing a Galliano dress, and I think it was Testino who was shooting her. Um But, yeah, that was, like, the one time i mean and there were a couple of others but um for the Bauman thing i was just given the footage and you know and also an anthony hegarty song which was great because you know music mm. is another thing that's really difficult to get hold of and they just said it i don't think it was like four weeks before christmas and they just said you know just you you make an animation by the first week of january and i didn't know anything about it so i kind of but i couldn't say no and so I said yes, and then just Did had to. Did you choose that track? No, they they gave it to me. They're friends with him. So he'd given it, he'd handed it over to them, which was great. But it, it you know, it, it basically, she was on the couch moving around for the camera. But that song gave it.
1: What's it called, that song? Was it
2: Anthony the Johnsons? Yeah, He's Everglade, not... I yeah. think it's called. Um... Warren's nodding. Yeah. <laughs> he knows. Um, but it, 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 it was the thing that was the direction for the animation. Yeah. You know, it kind of meant then that, you know, everything kind of had to take a bit of a kind of sombre and creepy direction.
1: And what happened when you started doing those mega things, like with Inez and Venude and working with Kate Moss and Lady Gaga? Did you, what, how did that affect your life and your career? Because that's quite a big shift from being the receptionist at Hasbro
2: yeah i mean there was a lo- there was a, there was a kind of you know there was enough time in between that it wasn 't too much of a shock to the system but it was um, the re it was kind of difficult, but that was mainly because I knew that I had capabilities with regards to illustration that I could bring to these projects but when it came to animation, you kind of you lose control you know you need big budgets you need people who can reproduce your style and work quickly and it's it's quite a difficult thing to put together so it was quite frustrating because I had all these great opportunities but you know was having to almost go in there with my hands tied um so it was great but I think it was a huge learning curve. And, and also, you know, I'm really emotional about the work that I make. I'm never really very good at letting things go. Everything needs to be just right. And that was something with animation that you just had to let go of. You know, you had to just get it to the point where half the time it just needed to be almost acceptable. I and mean, well, you saw it like that, everybody else seemed to respond really well. But it just was not... Um, each time it was just not quite what you wanted it to be and you just felt like a little bit of a, a letdown. And But then, you know, and in the end you had to look at it as, um, as a, it is a money-making thing. And so if it's not working out and people aren't getting exactly what they thought they were going to get in the first place and you're not able to, you know, produce it properly or happily or, or to a standard and also you are having to work every hour of every day to get to that point, then it's just not... It's just got to go, you know. So I guess that, in a sense, was the reason why I did it for a while and then I stopped. So what
1: happened when you stopped and you closed your studio and that felt like a sort of big change?
2: Um, What what,
1: what were the events that led up to you doing that?
2: um, Well, I mean, there were kind of, you know, family things that had gone on that meant that I kind of wanted to... I guess reassess in some way. And also I just fell out of love of making artwork because like, you know, I'd always made illustrations and then handed them over and everyone was like, you know, clapping at me and, and, you know, I'd get praise, you know, and the money was almost like a secondary thing as long as I could survive. And then I'd had this moment where I'd made stuff and it was just never good enough for me, let alone for anybody else. And so I just kind of didn't really know at the time, but I guess I'd fallen out of love with making artwork. I didn't really want to work anymore. I was just, like, getting it out the door. And I spent the next year in the States working for a friend creating an app. And, um, and whereabouts in the States were you? In New York. In New York and then travelled around, went to Martha and and uh, Colorado and stuff like that but um yeah I mean generally just kind of trying not to make artwork that's how that year went. Um, Why did you decide
1: to go there over other countries?
2: Well because my uh, my agent is in the states and it, I guess I just always had a bit of a fascination with it and I think what I wanted to was not to go somewhere where my brain was being fed with more information that the kind of idea of a road trip or the emptiness of being in some parts of america and traveling around it was what my brain needed not
1: did it work
2: Uh, yeah i think so yeah yeah i do i mean like I i think that if you can just recognize that there are issues that need to be addressed it doesn't really matter necessarily how you do it as long as you do and i kind of gave myself i stopped worrying about I was fortunate enough to be able to not worry too much about the money side of stuff. I had just enough work to keep me ticking over to make sure everything was covered. And, um, and it kind of enabled me to get on the road. But, yeah, I do. I think it, it made... I didn't even realise I had... ..that I'd fallen out of love with what I do and that there was a problem there and that actually it was down to me, in a sense, not really kind of saying what it was that, or knowing what it was that was making me unhappy or happy because it was just to me it's just like you know when it comes to work you just do what you're told to do and you don't second guess it you, when you get given an opportunity you take it doesn't matter what it is um whether it's good or bad for you or good or bad for the product as well i was just ne- told never to
1: so what did having that time out teach you or what did you did you have any big realizations about life
2: uh it wasn't really until i started making these emojis that actually i thought about what it was i did because with illustration i always had that spare time to go back and create work that made me happy and i was always promising to have an exhibition or you know blah blah and i never really got around to it because i get halfway through something and then a commercial project would come in and i'd have to do it and But there was always this kind of sketchbook to the side that had this kind of work that was um, always the female form, and it was the female form with typography and stuff like that. And during the time that I was animating, there was no spare time, and I'd kind of forgotten what it was I was doing. And then I met, you know, I started working on this app, and uh, part of this was supposed to be to make a keyboard for the app.
1: So explain a bit about how that how it came about that you suddenly started doing emojis or someone suggested it to you
2: yeah i was well i was working on this app with this friend of mine Janine who was the businesswoman and um, is a businesswoman and so she said to you you should do an app well she just spoke of ways that i should try to monetize illustration without it being something that i was working you know hand to mouth with really and to create a kind of brand of my own she'd done it you know um and also then she'd also she'd gone down this kind of tech road as well which you know she had the kind of money to make sure that she got the people in who knew what they were doing and so I kind of felt a bit like well it's not really something I can do but I started making emojis for her and then she just said you know what this is something you really should do for yourself so go like she set me sail and then when I kind of went back to her to ask if I could use her people because obviously she'd already you know which is what everybody does you know well do you know someone good then you know uh, she was just like you know what go and find your own you know and not in a it wasn't a mean thing but although I, I guess at the time it felt a bit selfish but um it was the right thing to do because it, it 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 encouraged me to kind of think a bit more about what it was that I wanted. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was the beginning of it, basically. I um, then came back to the UK. My I I'd spent the year in the States. I'd applied for a visa, and I think my plan was... I had the emojis kind of as a loose plan in my head, but my plan was to come back to the UK for a bit and then wait for my visa and go back. But I got back home, and my mum was diagnosed with cancer. And so I... Um, ended up having to stay and that is a point in time then I was like okay in a sense you can't keep running away not that it was running away but it made me stay very still and I had to have something to focus on you know that was no longer about me being in the right mood to draw I just needed something to do that was gonna keep me together during that period of time and that's where it kind of started but when I started doing it like I, I I was just drawing bits of pizza and like kittens and puppies and thinking to myself like <laughs> i don 't know if I can create a whole keyboard <laughs> with it it 's not inspiring me enough and then it started I started to think, well, what is it? What is it that you do that like and that 's when, for the first time in a couple of years, I came back to that same thing, drawing women or making drawings for women you know yeah. for whatever that was and
1: they seem you've mentioned how you were inspired by um like the writer Leonard Schlein and you meant, and there's sort of a sort of a theme of um goddesses and almost something like mystical going back to the past
2: yeah the well over the do. summer i was given a project by well i was i was pitching for there's a band called sun i'd made a, an album for before and they were kind of um looking for artwork for an album they were putting together called Canon and um, she's the goddess of mercy so it started me kind of drawing you know these kind of trying to draw these kind of empowered figures but everything I drew looked like an advert for a yoga class you know it's really hard not to <laughs> do it so it was kind of I started kind of trying to figure out how to kind of draw these women and it, I mean so he went with somebody else in the end but it started me off on this kind of um, this in, on this kind of like line of investigation I guess with illustration um, and that was about the same time as I was doing the um, emojis uh, starting them and then I was listening to the radio one day and Sandy Toksvig was on and she was leaving the radio um, to she was forming the Women's Equality Party, and I loved listening to her, and I was kind of listening, listening avidly, and she mentioned this book called The Alphabet and the Goddess, The Alphabet Versus the Goddess by Leonard Schlein, and um, she said, you know, that it talked about the av- advent of alphabetic literacy, meaning the kind of demise of the goddess, you know, this is the layman putting it in layman's terms, but... <laughs> Um, that, you know, with the advent of the printing press and us using the left hemisphere, predominantly masculine side of our brain, to um, learn, that it shifted us... Um, culturally, to a kind of more patriarchal society. And that, you know, in times gone by, we worship goddesses. You know, obviously right at the beginning there were hieroglyphics and stuff like that, but in times gone by, you know, society had been, the women, women had been an important and influential part of society and, and, you know, had given sacraments and been warriors and, you know, and then all of a sudden we were kind of in a world where people you know, monotheistic, mainly male-worshipping religions, and he kind of puts all these things together. And I guess in some ways it does sound like a kind of harebrained theory, but um, it made sense to me at that point in time because, I guess, you know, I... I it, he was talking about also the advent of film and photography, meaning that that was the beginning of the shift back in the opposite direction that we were then kind of communicating and educate being educated through imagery. But to me, the idea of the emoji was kind of... I wondered what he would think of it, you know, I I mean, he's not with us anymore. Have you always been interested in
1: (laughs) women's issues or feminism or was it something that had come into your life at this point for a particular reason?
2: No, I mean, it's something that I'd always drawn. I'd always drawn women kind of restricted by typography and, you know, Mm. that their, their body parts would become part of the letters or they'd be tied to the letters. So I guess without really realising it, I'd always had that thread of women in relation to the alphabet and and also in relation to the male gaze throughout my work. And, and, you know, when I started to make the emojis and wondered what it would be that I would do to to create a product that was unique, you know, and mine, um, it just made sense then that I would try and bring some kind of female point of view to these emojis. But there's so many things that influence that. You know, you can't just... At one point, I think is it um, Judy Chicago who has who did the installation that is... Um, is it called The Dinner... It's called The Dinner Table or something like that. But it's basically this imaginary dinner uh, setting where all the women who've ever been influential or powerful or important in the world um, are seated and, and they're, they're, um, they're the tablecloth is embroidered and their names and various kind of objects that represent them are sewn into the tablecloth. And I kind of thought at one point what I would do is the dinner party. It's called the dinner party. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> But I thought, you know, I'll do the equivalent of that in emojis because what I really wanted to do was kind of, I guess, in some way, you know, teach through them, you know. But then also Mm -hmm. you realise that emojis and stickers and that kind of thing are not that deep, you know. The things that sell really well are puppies (laughs) and kittens. And so, like... But I I don't... I still think that... It's, you know, I've made the product now, but Hmm. I still think that there's still room for it to be an art project almost, mm-hmm. you know. So it's called emojis. It is yeah. called for emojis. So yeah. you, and, um,
1: you designed it, it's an app that you designed for um, iOS. Yeah. Yeah, but you can also download it on Android.
2: Uh, yeah, that's in development right now, just because um, when Android doesn't have the regulations that iTunes has, so it just means that you'll so be what, able to what get What were the issues
1: with the iTunes, getting it onto iTunes?
2: Well, I think because it is... Um, it's a new, the stickers thing is a kind of n- a new product for them as well. So I think that you know, it's pretty restricted right now. Um, and I think I don't know because it's communication that that it and it can be misinterpreted maybe and used by everybody. That they need to be careful or at least they feel a responsibility to kind of make sure that that there's that things can't. Get, i guess two at hand you know whereas like if if a company makes a, a game or if a director makes a film then it's very clear that that responsibility is for the director because you know films have been around forever you won't no one's going to blame itunes for the content really but i think when it comes to stickers and emojis i think that it's it's just it's just news. so they're being really careful so
1: so for someone who has no idea what the what, what kind of stickers are in the app do you want to explain a bit about what type of thing it is because it looks great it's like really poppy
2: um <laughs> bright quite girly but really fun well i think like i think when i thought about creating something in response to what i was reading about women having a place in society and then ask, you know there wouldn't, there's no teachings, there's no teaching in school or anything like that about any kind of powerful women and, you know, I mean, I remember my religious you know, it was just all the Bible and stuff like that and there's no teaching of two girls of any of these kind of influential women so I guess in some ways I was trying to make something that appealed but you know, it was feminine and pretty but still kind of educational but um, like I say, I got so far with the goddess bit and then, you know um, knew that I would have to make a candy floss and a milkshake, <laughs> or so there was stuff that didn't make it on um, that will probably appear on Android. There's Such a little as? there's a little bean that jumps up and down and yeah. says flick me. Yeah, um, <laughs>
1: that which didn't is, make it
2: on the iOS. No,
1: no, no, no. And no. uh,
2: no, you know, it's just basically. Got, I'm looking
1: at it now on my on my iPhone. You've got um, a nipple, a breast in there.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like um, soup,
1: but it's really stylized.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're kind of, they're abstract kind of versions of the f- like female figure, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. But and also... what sort
1: of, femi- like, what is feminist about it?
2: Or Well, I mean, that is, that's something that's kind of started to develop more and more over time. Because at first it was just what would appeal to me and my friends, what would make them laugh. You know, creating something that was a bit kind of naughty um, that they could use to send to each other. And then... As time's gone on, you know, different things have happened along the way that's, that's kind of affected it. And, and, and since there was the refusal by iTunes, I kind of started to think, well, you know, it, me and my friends think in a certain way, but we're kind of in a bubble, you know. And this is a, something that's been sold on a platform that's available worldwide to every, you know, creed and religion and, you know, maybe I need to think about the fact that, you know, they're stopping me for a reason, not just because it's not for the sake of it, you know. And, and maybe I need to create something that is a little more all-encompassing. And I think, you know, in some ways I think, no, that can't, you know, that would be the cause of a failure of a product when you try and please everybody. But, you know, at the same time, if it's going to be ever so slightly political or, or you're attempting to be empowering in any way then you need to think about these things you know I don't really want to get too political with it but but then um, I do I, I know some women who are going to bring a printed version of it, stickers and stuff to the women's march just after Trump's inauguration in um, the third week of January so I've started creating stuff that I guess it's not political, but, it, it you know, I guess it's like this... It's a kind of, like, uh, modern sim, symbol suppose, of... And
1: also, I quite like the way, like, some of them are sort of traditional, like, f- feminine causes, like, sanitary towels, but you've made them quite fun and um, poppy, in a way. Like, there's a flying sanitary towel or there's that pink rabbit that vibrates.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, I guess... First thing I found it funny that you know, like when it comes to sex and our view on it, that it, you know that these things are always like rabbits or beans or mm. something that's got nothing to do with the yeah. actual thing. Um, and also it's a way of getting these. Uh, to me, it was you know if you did a vibrating rabbit, then you don't have to draw a vibrator, you know. Yeah. So then you can get it out there with iTunes. So no one's going to tell you off. Um. I thought the same about the beam, but they said they saw that one. (laughs) But you know, there's a pearl necklace on there. There is, um, but you know, there's some straightforward stuff like the burning bra, and I guess the sanitary towel thing was.
1: Do you think that Americans will get? It's
2: quite a sort of British. Do you think it's quite a British no, no, no? no. My my agents are New Yorkers, and you know they all kind of they all get it. But like the sanitary towel thing, I guess was, you know, again, you know, we're sold. I mean, it does have wings, but. You know, it doesn't really, it just has sticky sides. But, like, you know, we're sold these, you know, products and, I don't know, we're also sold Freedom and whatever with it. What do you think
1: about Kim Kardashian's Kimoji?
2: Um, I guess, you know, I mean, it was interesting to see it put together and, you know, as a business venture, how much money it made and blah, blah, blah. But I did think a little, you know, I just thought, it wasn't that empowering for girls you know like it's crazy that these are some of the most rich and influential women on the planet and you know they're kind of animations are chucking dollars at you and you know dancing around a stripper pole or you know um showing their body parts or that you know their emojis are like their knickers around their ankles and stuff like that you know which and obviously there's nothing wrong with that but it's a very one-sided
0: mm.
2: identity it, for a woman i think you know and, yeah. I, and i guess i'm not saying it shouldn't be out there but I, it's quite nice to be able to see that and then create something in response to it mm. so you're getting on this march i'm probably not just because um it's in washington uh in january and i've got to kind of launch um this app and be around for it i would love to go and i I am talking to a friend about going um but um you know i don't know sometimes it feels weird as an english girl to get involved in american politics and Mm. not get involved in british so it must be an amazing
1: feeling though to know that people are going there with stickers that you've designed
2: yeah you know I mean I've yet to see whether it gets a response or whether people like it and you know I think also when you start I've started reading lots of kind of um lots of reports about the kind of women that are going there and the women that have set it up and you know it's a very different dialogue to the one that i started with and so i'm learning quite a lot but what you realize is when it comes to creating graphics for that kind of thing it has to have an all-round appeal and also what is different i started looking at you know campaigns from times gone by when i think women were definitely not being listened to and you know the, the the kind of the the dialogue was far more um you know about smashing the patriarchy and stuff like that whereas this is a far more peaceful kind of process. and protest. It's not. It's no one's wanting to smash anything. Women, I think, know that they're being listened to, and I think now that that is the case, the tone has changed a little bit. You know, and and also I think they're just all a bit flat as well mm. from <laughs> knowing that they've got Trump coming in. But yeah. Um, generally, yeah, I mean, but generally, it's 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 interesting for me to you know. I, also if you go down the route of creating something that has a sense of humor you don't want to be seen to be making it you know making a joke out of a very serious cause for lots of women too Mm -hmm. so you've got to be light-hearted but you know you also need to kind of find what it is that is your message but you kind of want to find that without words so it in a sense is like one of my most difficult kind of commissions yeah (laughs) But yeah, it's a new one. Yeah, I think it's
1: amazing. Thanks. <laughs> um, and I'm going to go and have a play around with it now. So yeah, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hope so it works. Thanks so much for coming to talk to us. No it's worries. Great. Thanks for having me.
0: That was Joe Ratcliffe talking to me, Danielle Radoitchen. Please subscribe to our feed and download previous episodes by searching Violet Sessions in iTunes. And please leave your comments as we would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram for updates on future recordings by searching at Violet Sessions. Thanks for listening. Bye.